Green Left Weekly Radio. There is one newspaper that is independent of powerful interests, and that's Green Left Weekly. It's the people's voice, committed to human and civil rights, environmental sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas mainstream media won't. It's the leading source of local, national and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movements. It exposes the lies and distortions of the power brokers and helps us to better understand the world around us. Good morning, listeners. Um, you are listening to um, Green Left Weekly Radio. Um, it's uh, 7.01 a.m. Um, on the 855 a.m. dial. And the host today, uh, Jacob, and we also have a new um, get, uh, guest on our program. He'll be helping us out today, um, Megan. Good morning, everyone. All right. So um, I guess we have a pretty packed program. There's actually been a lot of major political developments, I guess, over the past um, week. Um Pretty much something is happening every day, um, especially around um, this whole kind of racist scapegoating by the government around, you know, the so-called African gangs crisis, which I put in quotes because I don't, it doesn't actually exist. Um, and there's also coming out of that, there's some potential threatening um, attacks on our civil liberties um, through the kind of anti-association laws that the Daniel Andrews government is attempting to push through. Um, and we actually will have... Uh, I think some there's going to be a protest outside Channel Seven um, called by some activists or um, members of the African community. Um, kind of um, basic because Channel Seven has been sort of the most vicious in terms of its sort of um, coverage of um, the African community and sort of the racist mm. kind of scapegoating. Um, so the activists who are organising that protest will be coming into our studio um, later today at 8.10am and so we'll be talking to them about the protests and generally, um, you know, about the politics and kind of what's happening there. And um, we'll also be playing a pre-recording of um, Peter Kornig, um, who this is an interview done by one of our um one of our programmers, Lali, on talk, speaking about his recent experiences of going to this economic conference or so on in Venezuela. Um, but I guess before we move on to sort of um, the headline news, um, I'd like to acknowledge that um, FreeCR today is being broadcast to you um, from the Wandry land of the Kulin Nation. Um, I'd like to pay our respect to elders past and present and acknowledge that, you know, um, this always was, um, always will be Aboriginal land, um, and that you know our program and FreeCR is dedicated to supporting the sovereignty of Aboriginal people, uh, especially for the fight um, for their land and sovereignty. All right, so um, I guess one of the big, uh, a big kind of news story that happened, and actually it's, that is quite relevant to um, FreeCR and actually Green Left Weekly as well, uh, and this is something we'll, we'll, um, is. Uh, Yes, yesterday, um, Channel Nine and um, there was an announcement that Channel Nine has basically bought out Fairfax Media. They tell they say it's a merger, but you know most media is reporting it as a takeover. Yes, it's it's essentially a takeover, and um, you know I have my criticisms of um, Fairfax, but I think this is. The implications for the media landscape for this, I think, is very problematic um, in the sense that it is essentially narrowing um, the kind of Arab or and mono- essentially monopolizing it um, into um, 
to become more corporate, uh, more corporate driven. Um, Fairfax was probably the least corporate out of all the kind of mainstream kind of major media outlets. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, it really does, it, it is, I guess, an implication of, of um, you know, a historical kind of legislation that was introduced by the Hawke government um, 30 years ago. And of course, you know, one of the things, um, you know, what, 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 what this kind of means, and this is sort of reading out from a statement of Paul, from the former Prime Minister Paul Keaton, is um, the absence of these legislative barriers in um, the media free for the Turnbull government is putting will because of the broadly maintained power of those outlets result in effective, dramatic, uh, an effective and dramatic close down in diversity. And of course, you know, um, it is true um, that, you know, the technology has brought, you know, Marad voices to a public eager for diversity of information, but the atomization of web-based content, much of it other than local, cannot, in terms of impact, be compared with the major big local media players, particularly in the cost consolidations of the kind announced today. And, of course, I think, as Paul Keating, um, for Christmas I have of him, the announced takeover of Fairfax by Channel 9, I think, will change the news landscape of Australia Absolutely. altogether. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the less voices we have in media, regardless of where they come from, the the, the more conformity we have. And obviously this, this merger is something that is uh, a worrying factor for the media landscape. And, and these sorts of things are happening all over the world. And unfortunately, this sort of thing should not occur. Um, mm. it's, not, it's not a good thing for different voices, for varied voices. I mean, th- this is why we have 3CR and this is why we have Green Left Weekly, independent voices that need to be heard. And they are uh, speaking against a basically a, a landscape that's now so it's, it's there's such conformity that the it's a worry it's a worry for our um our community it's a worry for the people who simply just look at commercial media and see mm-hmm. that as the only voice that we have yeah. It's, yeah. and i guess another um Another issue, one of the kind of implications of this is basically makes our media um, landscape actually look quite similar to our, well, it actually makes it look quite similar to everything we see actually in the rest of the world, um, in sort of the capitalist world is, mm. for example, the fact that, you know, in, um, you have, you have the, you have, you see how Woolworths and um, Coles have a monopoly on the supermarkets. All the uh, franchises, we, we just tend to see the same thing over and over again in the same town. Now we have the same media. I mean, if you look at all of the local papers and the local media outlets that these large organisations own, that's a worrying thing as well. People don't realise how far they reach. Well, actually, the, the thing is, um, probably most people don't realise that mo- most the majority of local newspapers are actually owned by Murdoch. Mm. Uh, so there's no real kind of – it's quite rare to actually find, uh, especially if you go around different suburbs, to find a, mm. indi- a local newspaper that is actually – There's no true diversity. Yeah. So I think, yeah, this is definitely a worrying concern. I guess, as Megan said, I think this reinforces the importance of what we're doing here on Green Left Radio, um, the importance of, you know, independent media. And actually, I'll probably like to encourage that um, the Radiophone ended, I think, quite recently, but, you know, we're still looking for donations. So definitely encourage you um, to make a donation. Support independent media. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, you can make a donation by calling 94198377 or you could just go to our website on freecr.org.au. Um, now, the next, this that was one of the major news um, stories. Um, the next one I want to talk about is... 
is a kind of this is a big kind of development that kind of happened um, this week. Um, so in the context of um, all these sort of you know uh, you know the scapegoating of you know African migrants and African gangs um, that Peter Dutton and Malcolm Turnbull were kind of basically dog whistling about, uh, essentially to whip up kind of racism. Um, to their constituents um, around the whole Super Saturday elections that are actually coming up this Saturday, um, the the Labor Party's kind of response in on a state level has been to push, um, you know, push a, uh, uh, an attempt to extend the anti um, to extend anti association laws. Um, current, um, as in the statement by um, Victoria, um, basically what. What this, the implication of this is police in Victoria could ban clean-skinned teenagers from associating with ad- adolescents who have been convicted of a criminal offence in person and on social media. You know, under these new anti-consorting laws that legal courts warn represent a dangerous overreach. And going back to Tuesday morning, um, the Labor government announced um, that laws that it established to tackle outlaw and motorcycle gangs would be extended to those under 18s, member- meaning that police um, could issue teenagers with unlawful association notice, including though for associating with other teenagers. Um, the introduction um, of these laws today comes as, a, as a, the claim denied by the police. Um, the Victorian Police Minister Lisa Neville said the new laws could only potentially prohibit contact with teenagers as young as 14 if they had been convicted of violent crimes such as home invasions, armed robberies and carjackings and would be need to be issued by senior police officers. Um, so, you know, these are, this is sort of a bit of a dangling precedent. And the fact is they're mm-hmm. introducing these laws as uh, in the lead up to a protest that was called by the, um, called by the African community that we're going to be talking to later, uh, against Channel 7's kind of racist coverage. And a bit of a, um, I think one of the, one of the things it, I think what we have to point out is these laws are always used in a discriminatory way, especially towards people of colour and marginalised groups. Um, in a statement kind of, um, in this kind of statement by Victorian socialists, um, they note that in New South Wales, where such laws already exist, um, the laws have been used in a discriminatory way against the Aboriginal community, um, with the majority of bans being handed out to Aboriginal people. Given that, you know, we already... One of the things to note is we already kind of have a big problem and the Flemington Kensington Legal Centre have been at kind of the forefront of pointing this out, um, that, you know, we already have a we already have an issue where um, in Victoria with police using racial profiling to harass young people of from African backgrounds or just anyone who is black. Mm. And, of course, um, you know, we'll, you know, we'll play... And this is sort of raises the question of these anti-association laws extending it to young people... Um, you know, will police be able to sort of ban teenagers from associating with parents, brothers and sisters or grandparents if they committed crimes? Um, will police be able to charge you if a friend has tagged you and the person you're banned from associating with is in the same Facebook post? Um, and, you know, we've already seen how um, ridiculous these laws have been um, are when they've been used against motorbike elder riders mm. who have committed no crime. Um, this is a bit of a, referring to a case back in 2014. Five old school firms, some of whom were bikies, um, were arrested when they came down the street to buy ice creams for their kids at the Gold Coast. The case was thrown out of court, but only after the friends had spent two weeks in jail for buying ice cream as a group. So that's sort of just the... That's ridiculous. And if that's the use of these association laws, we've got to ask, are these punitive 
measures helpful to the communities? Uh, do they really actually do anything to fight crime? But also, do they damage communities? And we see evidence that they do. These sorts of things damage communities. It's not, it's not appropriate at all. Yes. Yeah. And um, so I guess... Um to note that all the kind of um, the, the community federation, um, all the community le- legal firms have condemned um, these laws and think they're a gross um, violation of our human rights. And also Liberty Victoria, who um, have also come, spoken out against these new laws. Um, now, I'm unsure about sort of where the current status of these laws in terms of the parliament. All I know is that uh, they were due to be passed in the parliament um, this Tuesday. Um, and sort of I imagine that it's still going through possibly a process of debate um, and we might find out more mm-hmm. on, you know, what's the state of these laws and um, by next week in the, on our program. I mean, I, I do feel a lot of this sort of stuff is, is cheap political shots. It's not something that is really helpful at all um, to communities and we've got to think about in the long term, what is going to help with community cohesion that reduces any kind of tension and um, but doesn't impinge upon our civil liberties? Mm. Yeah. Well, I think one of the uh, I think one of the important things to sort of point out is in the context of this whole kind of dog whistling by the government around the so-called African gang crisis. Um, which doesn't, which there's no evidence that there no, it actually statistics exists. Don't back it up. And there's also statistics, as we always point out whenever we discuss these things, that crime in Victoria is actually is lowering. lowering. Yes. Um, you wouldn't believe it, you know, according to the media and the politicians, though. So, yeah. yeah, and and but you, but of course, the only thing we're hearing about this so-called crime wave is on conservative talkback radio stations and Channel 7. So mm-hmm. um, whereas all the authorities, even the police, which is a bit contradictory, um, simply because we um, there's a bit of a history, um, well, there's a bit of a kind of history of the fact that police do lobby the media in terms of stirring up kind of things mm-hmm. around law and order um, to, because... Um, what the police can get out of this sort of hysteria about crime and law and order is um, that it puts the pressure on the government to put increase the funding of police officers and um, general kind of law and order expenses. But even then, you, what you can see is what Malcolm Turnbull and Peter Dutton are doing around this whole, you know, the whole kind of dog whistling around African gangs is almost, in a sense, going too far for the law enforcement. Absolutely. I mean, when you get law enforcement saying that, look, I, this is not actually the case. and yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, and But also pretty much everyone in terms of the experts um, in crime are just saying that, you know, there's absolutely no evidence that this African gang, gang crisis exists. Once again, it's just cheap political shots. And obviously, you know, if this is working, if this do- kind of dog whistling is working, then, you know, we have to speak out against it and mm. make sure that people's voices are heard in opposition to mm. this sort of thing. And I think that's why I guess um, just to make a plug for it, which we'll be making another plug when we talk to the organisers of the event, uh, very important that I think um, we attend at the Channel 7 protest at 2pm um, this Saturday outside the yes. Channel 7 studios which i think is somewhere in the docklands all right um just i'll just play a quick announcement and we'll move on to our first um interview of the program
Right. You're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. Um, it is 7.16am on the 855am dial. Um, so I will be playing um, an interview, a pre-recorded interview by Peter Corneg on um, Venezuela. Um, to give a bit of introduction to Peter Corneg, he is an economist and geopolitical analysis. Um, you know, he has worked over four, 30 years um, with the World Health Organization around the world in the fields of environment and water. Uh, he's a regular lecturer at universities in the US, Europe, and South America. And he also writes regularly for a number of publications that actually um, Green Left Radio kind of draws upon, um, including Global Research, Sputnik, um, Press TV, Telesur, uh, and other kind of internet sites. Um, he is also the author of Implosion, um, an economic thriller about war, environmental destruction and corporate greed, um, fiction based on facts and on 30 years of World Bank experience around the globe. He is also the co-author of the World Order and Revolution Essays from the Resistance. Um, so I'll be playing this interview that was um, done by, conducted by Lali, um, one of our presenters on the program, and yeah, I hope you enjoy it. Thank you very much for talking to us, Peter. Um, it's very kind of you to offer to give us a little bit of analysis of what's going on in Venezuela, which is an important country at this stage in the Latin American region. So you returned from a conference, I believe. Is that correct? Uh, yes, thank you very much for having me. Uh, yes, uh, President Maduro from Venezuela uh, recently, actually in mid-June, called uh, a Presidential Commission on Economic uh, Advice for his country and invited a, a number, maybe about 30 or so, uh, international economists, most of them from Latin America. Um, I happened to be one of them. I was uh, very fortunate and actually very flattered that uh, I was part of, uh, of this uh, group. And, um, and of course, uh, this is a group, uh, maybe a group much too big to come to drastic uh, conclusions, but at least uh, we were able to bring some ideas forward for the government to consider. Now, uh, to put Latin America a little bit in perspective, uh, something which I didn't do, but Mr. Maduro uh, made a very, very good uh, remark, uh, an opening remark, basically, when he spoke. Uh, he said, uh, remember Yugoslavia. Yugoslavia was uh, partitioned by the Western world because Yugoslavia was at that time, and that I remember, of course, Yugoslavia was at that time in the in the 70s and 80s the most prosperous uh, country in Europe, where everybody else was suffering unemployment and recessions and and so on. Uh, Yugoslavia was prospering more or less uh, steadily. Uh, there was no poverty. Uh, they had uh, more or less an equal equal income. It was a it was a socialist country guided under Tito, who followed more or less uh, a Mao line of politics. Mm. But uh, uh, but at that time, that could not be allowed. That uh, Yugoslavia, a country within Europe, would actually perhaps become an example on how socialism could work. And therefore, it had to be destroyed. And we know what happened after that. We know that uh, there were successive wars uh, from the beginning of the 90s uh, up to the uh, Kosovo War at the beginning of, at the end of the 1900s and the beginning of uh, 2000 that uh, partitioned actually 
the country to an extent where where it is still not at peace with it with itself and has uh, an economy that is faltering, high unemployment, uh, dependent on on foreign aid and on transfers for people who have uh, emigrated outside. So it's it's a per- terrible situation. It's also called the Balkanization of uh, of Yugoslavia, mm. and the huge Balkanization. The use of the term balkanization is quite frequent. It's also used in Syria, which is that the West is trying yes. to do that. Mm. And Mr. Maduro has used it for the balkanization of Latin America. He said it's going far beyond Venezuela. And, uh, and, and he was referring to then the, uh, Colombia being the new NATO country. You know, Colombia since a few weeks is officially a NATO country. This is a process that has started already in 2012, or maybe even before, but 2012, there was the first agreement signed between Colombia and, and Brussels, NATO and Brussels, which is an absolute absurdity. NATO has nothing to do in Latin America, nor for that matter in Afghanistan or, or in yes. the Middle East. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but, uh, but when he brought that idea to the table, I, I thought, hmm, he is probably right. Yes. Subsequently, I found maps in which Latin, the, the, the partitioned Latin America was already projected uh, by, I don't think exactly remember where these maps come from, maybe from the Pentagon, maybe from NATO, I don't know. But it, uh, but, but, but it, was, it was really remarkable on, on, uh, on how he perceived that uh, very, very clearly, mm. this, uh, this imminent danger. Yes. And so what strategies did uh, the group discuss in, in terms of countering that process of balkanization of, of Latin America? Uh, well, we did not really focus on, the, on, on that. We focused more on, on uh, Venezuela itself because Venezuela right now is in a terrible bind. Mm. Venezuela is being strangled, literally strangled economically. Uh, by the U.S. and of course by the by the, the Vassal countries, uh, which is uh, which is for all of Europe, yes. and uh, all those other countries that are afraid of the United States, they yes. have to bend over backwards to to please them and sanction Venezuela, including Switzerland, my country, mm. uh, which had never anything negative uh, to deal with Venezuela. They just bend it over and followed the, the rule of. Of, uh, uh, of the United States and of the European Union, it's, uh, for me, it is totally disgusting. Uh, but, you know, this is the world we live in. Mm. So we are trying to, to address this issue, mostly the economic issues emanating from, from these sanctions. And uh, there are a few uh, major points that came out, I think, uh, which are linked to the dollar economy. And, and so for me and for many others, uh, the priority would be trying to de-dollarize uh, the, the country as quickly as possible. I mean, others have done that successfully. <coughs> it's uh, not an easy process, and it takes uh, time and a lot of concentration and a lot of guts, I must say that, especially in the case of Venezuela. Absolutely. Venezuela is so close to the border of the United States and, and could be literally invaded and I mean this was one of the threats that uh, that Trump on several occasions has expressed yes, you know why has. don't we just invade hmm. in Venezuela 
So this is this is a, a threat. I don't know how real, but it is a threat. Now, uh, let me put that dollarization or de-dollarization a little bit in context. Venezuela has a lot of uh, uh, dollar reserves because it, it's the largest. It has the largest uh, petrol reserves in the world and exports uh, petrol, and as you know, until recently, <laughs> and um, still today, all the hydrocarbons had to be dealt with in, in U.S. dollars. And uh, only since about two or three years, uh, some countries have dared to, to deviate, and that's mainly Russia uh, and China, and they are too big uh, to, to be really uh, sanctioned badly or affected badly by the United States. So, uh, so some others have followed that example, like India and Iran is, uh, is following it now also, at least partially, at least uh, for all the, the hydrocarbons they are selling to, to uh, China and Russia. So uh, this is one of the things that, uh, that Venezuela has already started uh, in de-dollarizing. Venezuela not only has made uh, deals with uh, China, China is now one of the biggest customers of uh, Venezuela yes. and petrol. and Latin America, uh, a lot of investments there too. China's right. growing role in Latin America. Anyway, please, please continue. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, China has, of course, put a lot of money, uh, uh, I think about uh, $50 billion uh, worth in the uh, Venezuelan uh, hydrocarbon uh, industry and that just recently uh, a few weeks ago or, or less actually have uh, announced that they will put another five billion dollars into modernizing uh, the, the petrol industry in Venezuela. Mm. With other words they have a vital uh, economic and financial interest in Venezuela which makes it also more difficult uh, for the US to just invade because uh, there is a a huge strength behind it. Yes. Also, uh, also uh, there are Russian uh, military advisors in the country uh, to to give uh, the military some some strength. Hmm. And 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 so this is this is one of the things. But of course, it's it's very very difficult. So what Venezuela has done, and this is a ter terrific step that they have there doing that. They have actually invented a. a, a government-controlled and government-owned cryptocurrency, which is called the Petro. And it's not, uh, it's not like Bitcoins, which is basically, um, it's almost, I would say, it's almost the same as a fiat uh, money because it's not based on anything. Yeah. But the Petro is uh, based on um, or backed by uh, the hydrocarbon reserves in the ground mm. in, in Venezuela uh, by uh, a particular particular uh, set of wells, which is called, I think, Ayacucho. And, and this is an enormous amount. This is a small fraction of all of what all they have, but it's an enormous amount of uh, petrol that uh, can justify just uh, so much uh, petros, the new currency, uh, that it could eventually become uh, a, a world reserve currency. That, that's actually what I believe it, it may it may happen because there are other countries who have already indicated they would go the same way. Yes. One of them is Iran, another one is uh, Russia, and uh, China is already working on it. And there's possibly India that would go the same way. 
So if you have uh, three, four, or maybe uh, five uh, countries, uh, hydrocarbon-producing countries, that have a special currency, which may be a virtual currency at the beginning, uh, to exchange to exchange um, uh, their uh, their petrol with or their uh, gas, uh, that that could make actually so much for an alternative currency that would it, that it would become it could become a reserve currency uh, for for the world particularly uh, that's not from one day to another but particularly over time especially since the dollar is faltering more and more as a reserve currency mm. uh, I, I understand for example that uh, about 20 years ago uh, the dollar made up for about 90% uh, of all the reserves worldwide. Today it has dropped to less than 60%. Mm. And since about a year and a half ago, the yuan, the Chinese yuan, has become officially a reserve currency because it was uh, accepted by the IMF in the SDR, the Special Drawing Rights Basket. Uh, it's now five currencies that make up the Special Drawing Rights, uh, not only four as before. So they are officially actually have uh, have been flagged as a as a reserve currency and particularly australia i think has taken advantage of that while at the at, at maybe 4 or 5 years ago the reserves on yuan were quite small and i understand that with, within the last few years it has increased they have increased to more than uh, 15% because it's logical i mean china is much closer than the united states to to australia mm. Uh, but uh, of, of course, there are politics that play a role. But now that uh, the yuan has been accepted officially as a reserve currency, it it, it will grow exponentially. I'm pretty sure about that. Mm, and Australia, Australia has oh, a, a has a big is also has got big economic interests within China, and uh, it it benefits enormously because of China's economic relationship with Australia, especially in the education um, industry. Absolutely, absolutely. So Venezuela has made um, a very bold step towards de-dollarizing by creating this uh, by creating this petrol. However, this is only the beginning, because uh, you have, on the other hand, you have Venezuela has to import about uh, seventy percent of its food and uh, and and medical equipment and uh, medicine and so on, and most of it comes from the United States. That's the odd thing. Uh, because uh, Venezuela has the capacity to be totally self-sufficient, uh, at least agriculturally self-sufficient, uh, because there's enough arable land that they could uh, they could within years become absolutely self-sufficient and self-supporting uh, food-wise, mm. and I'm sure they're 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 working on this. And, and 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 so this is a this is another line they would have to do. Then the other the other thing is that uh, the dollar, of course, is is a currency which is still more by propaganda than by fact uh, accepted worldwide, and not no, not only accepted worldwide. Our Western monetary system system is uh, entirely dependent on on the dollar system. On the international dollar exchange system. Let's give me. Let me give you a, a small example. For example, if you if you want to transfer from Melbourne 
just a thousand uh, Australian dollars to somewhere in, in Asia or in Latin America or in Europe, that transfer has to go through a U.S. bank either in London or in New York. That's that's uh, that's a simple fact. Many people don't know that, mm. but it's uh, that's that's the way the the, the dollar system controls everything. Mm. Without that total dependence on the Wall on the Wall Street banks, and guess who controls the Wall Street banks? Uh, without that total total dependence, uh, sanctions would not be possible, mm. and only because these sanctions uh, only because uh, the system works the way it, it works because uh, most of the transfers go through the so-called SWIFT system. SWIFT means Society for Worldwide uh, Interbank Financial Telecommunications and it's, uh, it's totally private, it's a private organization, a private company uh, um, stationed I think headquartered somewhere in, in Belgium close to Brussels and uh, and functions on the Belgium law, but it's totally private. Uh, it's as private as the as the Federal Reserve. Uh, it's also totally private. Federal the, the so-called uh, Central Bank of the United States. So within these two, uh, they control really the, the entire uh, monetary system, Western monetary system. No longer for Russia. No longer for China and uh, hardly anymore for the so-called SCO, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization member countries, which are now uh, about eight, including mm. India and Pakistan. Yes. So, so all of that, these countries, they are, they're gradually turning away, and that's what uh, turning away from, uh, from the dollar, and that's what Venezuela is trying to do too. As a first step was, uh, was the, the petrol, and uh, secondly, they will have to probably eventually they will have no other chance than uh, than blocking uh, totally the the U.S. dollar from from being used by the private sector in Venezuela, other than by by the government. Mm. What happens, and this, and this is a special phenomenon in Venezuela. It it could happen, I think, to some extent in Iran too, but much less. Uh, the there's a for years, since ever I have been, I think almost since the beginning of the Chavez uh, ascent uh, government, uh, Venezuela has suffered under a dollar black market in, 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 uh, in, in Caracas. Uh, enormous, enormous. I just yesterday looked at various uh, from one day to another. I just looked yesterday quickly at the exchange rate. Uh, yesterday, the official exchange rate, one dollar was... 120,000 bolivars, bolivars, that's mm. the, the national currency. currency yes. And the black market rate at the same time was almost 4 million bolivars. My goodness. And it's fluctuating, uh, yes, it's fluctuating drastically. And of course, by doing that, it's being manipulated out of Florida and out of Colombia, but mostly Florida. Mm. Uh, by Twitter, basically, they decide what the rate is, and then uh, that's that's handled uh, that way in with within within uh, Venezuela. Now you may ask, why is this possible? And uh, and, and of course, uh, I asked myself also, and it's uh, it's obvious 
when you know that like Russia, like China, like Iran, like all the countries that uh, do not want to bend over backwards to please the United States and their handlers, they, they are being uh, pressured uh, very heavily by uh, by the by the monetary system. Yes. So uh, so and they can be pressured by the monetary system because they have what we call the fifth column. You have heard about that term, I'm pretty sure. Huh. No, the I fifth, haven't. But the, please explain. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, the fifth column. Um, the term goes. The term goes back to the uh, Spanish Civil War, if I remember correctly, because then the rebels. Uh, who who was it actually? Uh, I think it was a certain. A certain general Mola, who was in the opposition, he he communicated to his uh, back troops that he has four columns waiting to invade Madrid, and there was uh, another group within a clandestine group within Madrid that, as soon as he invades them, would act up too. And that made the fifth column. Right. And that term has per, uh, persisted throughout yes. mm. and now is used as the fifth column. Those are the infiltrators, yes. sometimes open, sometimes clandestine. Yes. They are very, very strong in, in, in Russia. Mm. I mean, they are so strong that Putin has not been able to get rid of them. As a matter of fact, he's, he's just recently reappointed Prime Minister Medvedev. He is uh, probably the chief of the of the the fifth, fifth column, column. Right. within within Russia. Mm -hmm. So you would ask, you would also question, why was he reappointed? Lots of people, lots of analysts uh, ask that question, and I have uh, not come up with any uh, with any reasonable answer other than that they are so strong. You know, the in 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 Russia. Sorry for deviating, but the, that's okay. It probably can can all be connected. Um, the, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, uh, when all these vultures from the West, like the IMF and the Fed and the World Bank, came uh, to Russia to actually suck out all the capital they 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 could mm. and privatize everything, they created a national bank according to the image of the Fed, and uh, that is no longer the case today. No, but uh, but there is still. A lot of uh, similarities with uh, with Western national banks, and the national bank is most likely still dominated by the fifth column in Russia. Hmm. So, for Putin, it may be very difficult to just get rid of them. I think he is working hard on it, but uh, obviously, it is it is not so easy. One of the steps that he has taken is, um, as I said before, de-dollarization. Once the country is de-dollarized, the fifth column, at least economically, cannot do much harm anymore. And uh, Russia has just recently, uh, also within the last couple of weeks or so, gotten rid of about half of their dollar reserves, which uh, made a little splash in the news, but not very big. Mm. Uh, obviously, the, the Russian dollar reserves are by far not as big as the Chinese. No. But Chinese is also working on it. All right, um, so that was Peter Koenig um, talking uh, about Venezuela and politics in Venezuela, reporting on sort of a recent conference he went to. Um, that was just only the first part of um, that interview, and we will hopefully play the second part uh, next week um, on our program. Um, so just tune in next Friday um, at 7 a.m. Um, to hear the rest of that interview. 
All right, so um, I guess now we've got the time to talk a bit more about some news coverage. Um, the first, we'll discuss a number of articles of Green Left Weekly and one other um, issue, political issue that's sort of been dominating the headlines lately, um, and that is um, talking about this sort of issue of my health record. Um, and so I'll give let Megan um, sort of take the lead on starting that discussion off um, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, thanks, Jacob. Um so my health record, so just for people who may not be aware of what it is, uh, my health record is an online uh, summary of your health information. It's uh, a central record that contains things like your pathology tests, medical conditions, medical uh, medications and other medical information that, be, that can be access, accessed by a number of authorised parties, including uh, specialist doctors, GPs, clinics, uh, and hospitals. Now, it has actually been running for about six years and currently has about six million Australians uh, who are on the system. But what's changed recently is that it's now going to become an opt-out system. So uh, there's a number of different concerns around um, the My Health uh, Records uh, database, but also the way it's been implica- like implemented. Um, probably one of the biggest concerns for myself and for other people is the fact that it's an opt-out system. Um, a lot of people have expressed concern about this. What a lot of people think as well is it should be an opt-in system. So you get the, the choice to opt into a, a database, a centralised database that has all of your personal private records, medical information, rather than opt-out. Um, now, this is a really important thing to know. If you want to opt out, you only have until October the 15th this year to opt out. So if you're going to do it, have a good long think about if you are going to opt out because you do need to do it before on or before October the 15th. So you only get a mere three months, so from July the 16th to October the 15th, to actually opt out of this system. If you don't opt out after this um, time, a medical a My Health Records um, a file for you becomes mandatory you will have one created automatically for you and sensitive information put in there. Um, there's actually quite a number of other things um, that there, that are problematic with the My Health Record system. Um, look, despite the reassurances of um, politicians, nothing is hack-proof. Um, your medical records are there on, any, uh, on a national database um, and, and prone to these sorts of breaches um, from outside. We've had systems um, in, uh, say, in the U- in, sorry, in the UK, um, where there was a similar um, a system called Care.Data. It was announced in 2014, but it was actually cancelled in 2016 after an investigation found that drug and insurance companies were able to buy information on patients' mental health conditions, diseases, and smoking habits. So these are corporations who are buying this personal information and using it for their monetary gain, which obviously a lot of people would have problems with. Now, another interesting thing about um, the My Health Record system is that the man in charge of implementing My Health Record in Australia, Tim Kelsey, was also in charge of setting up care.data. Um, Phil Booth, the coordinator of British privacy group MediConfidential, or MedConfidential, says similarities were extraordinary and he's expecting the same privacy breaches to occur. Mm. Um, now, this is that's just... Um, I mean, that's from the outside, That's but that's also – there's problems with the um, inside of it. So breaches can occur from the outside and the inside, and these breaches can be accidental or they can be deliberate. Um, with the My Health Data um, system – 
there are many, many um, parties that now have access to this. Now, currently, companies like Telstra, Health Engine, Tired and Healthy have access to this system um, for their app users to view uh, the data on mobile phones. Now, these are companies that have access to these private records. Mm. You've also got, obviously, you, all your doctor's clinics, your specialists, your GPs, uh, staff in hospitals, etc. Basically, the more parties who have access to these uh, the, these files, the more likely a data breach, deliberate or accidental, will occur. Yeah. And um, yeah. can you also um, mention, I read in the news recently that, um, and this is sort of what's convinced me, I actually said we talked about this kind of last week and I was sort of, me and um, Zane, um, the other programmers were uh, on the show, were presenters on the show, were basically, um, we sort of talked about, you know, a number of these concerns about my health record. I mean, one of the issues with my health record is is quite, there's a lot of people, um, for example, people who might previously had a uh, drug problem, uh, someone who is a sex worker, Absolutely. Uh, someone who is um, might have a mental illness who would yes. completely not be comfortable about their fact that their record is going to be accessed by these parties in particular. Absolutely. Um, but yep. even a greater concern is, I just read in the news, and this is a recent development, that apparently um, the police could now have access to the records in my house. So what's the kind of the situation yes. with that? Uh, now, it's interesting about the, the fact that you brought up the police. Now, um, the, the, the health minister, Greg Hunt, was actually wrong to claim that um, police would need a court order. It has been, um, it has been brought up that this is not the case in many situations. So currently the, the system that we have at the moment which is, um, you know, it's a bit of a piecemeal medical record system um, but what happens at the moment is that um, it requires a patient's consent to release medical records. Now, also, currently, police can only access a personal person's records with a warrant, a subpoena or a court order. Mm. The, the My Health Records system will make it significantly easier for police to access the medical data of individuals, and this has a lot of ramifications. So, as you mentioned before, um, you know, people who, who have previous drug abuse or drug, you know, um, uh, use, uh, sex workers, etc. I mean, your HIV status is on there as well, and these sorts of things can be used, um, you know, in, in many different ways. Um, you can, you know, with things re- regarding um, Centrelink benefits. So mm. your, you, the ramifications are quite far-reaching. So Centrelink, uh, the Australian Taxation Office, mm. Medicare, etc., police accessing these records yeah. and using them against you. And this is sensitive medical data which should not be um, easily accessible by yeah. anyone, let alone the police. So, oh, well, actually, I'm probably a bit more worried about Centrelink actually these days. Centrelink, um, absolutely. Centrelink benefits can be affected by your, your yeah. health Especially with all these sort of um, legislation that um, they're trying to introduce around um, penalising people who have who use drugs, um, who receive Centrelink benefits and, and so on. So mm, Absolutely. It's the kind of moral panic that we don't need. I mean, we, we, sh- we shouldn't be judged on our, our, our medical records, really. It's not, it's not appropriate, and mm. it's not appropriate for people to access yeah. these. And um, what is the opt-out period again for this? Um... Sure. No, that's a good thing where you need to emphasise this. So if you want to opt out of this system, you have to opt out by October the, 15th, October the 15th of this year. So yeah. you only have yeah. just un- under three months. Yeah, I think one thing I've thought of become convinced of this that I think it is actually important in terms of I think that even if people I think the whole my health record actually seems like a complete disaster and I think out of protest against what the government is doing I think it's 
quite important that we do encourage. I mean, obviously, it's all up to people's individual choices that we do. I think we should encourage um, that people should be encouraged to opt out as simply kind of a statement mm. um, of standing up for our civil liberties. And also, it's important to note that if you opt out before October the 15th, you can then opt in afterwards. So if it's something that you're looking at making the decision and you can't make it within that time, if you mm. opt out and then you cannot back in and then you have the well, for all we know, for all we know, the system could be reformed uh, to a significant degree. Um, mm. in response because there's already been some pressure applied where the government has actually backtracked on certain things. In fact, I think one of the things they have backtracked on or conceded to is I think they have extended the opt-out period at, um, from what it was originally earlier, um, but there was something related to that that the government has actually conceded to, and it's a result of all the criticism they've mm. received from experts and from the, and the concerns raised by the community. But even a mere three months to decide whether you're going to opt out of a mandatory system is not long enough. Mm. I mean, people need to know about that date, and then they need to make a decision. Yeah. And, of course, the yeah. fact is that a lot of people – there's probably a lot of people that just go by their day and probably don't even know this is actually no, happening. No, I mean, we really got to get the word out there because if you don't opt out, it automatically gets made for you, and sensitive person inf- information gets uploaded. But there's actually um, another one, another point that I wanted to bring up about my health records. And um, this has been a concern for for social workers. So basically, um, my health records um, can undermine teens' rights to medical privacy. So at the moment, um, a an adult is manages a child's medical records, and that mm. includes up to the age of 18. Now, there is a, the case that children can opt out or can, can take over management of their my health records um, uh, details at the age of 14. But I mean, let me ask you, how many 14-year-olds are going to take take mm. that um, step and how many 14 year olds will know about this um, freedom mm. that they have but um, some social workers are saying that um, because of who's able to see this data i.e. parents guardians etc it might be a barrier to teenagers willingness to seek treatment for medical conditions which we do not need to place more barriers between um, mm. medical health and, and teenagers access to it and any judgment that they might feel they have you know things like uh, drug use uh, sexual activity etc we don't need to place more barriers to the freedoms of um, mm. medical treatment, especially for teenagers, which is a vulnerable part of the community. Yeah. All right. Okay. So that's just um, the bit of the summary of the My Health Record kind of stuff. And that's what we probably dedicated a bit of a good portion of our show to it because it is quite a... It's important very issue. important. All right. Now, the next issue, this is the latest from the latest Green Left Weekly. Um, it's actually sort of a, technically an article written by me, but um, this is just a report on sort of the stuff that's happening around East Timor. Um, probably listeners have probably heard... Um, um, that the current attorney, uh, that the current attorney general, um, Christian Porter, is um, heading a sort of persecu- a prosecution of the former spy witness K and his lawyer um, Bernard um, Bernard Colleri. Um, You know, both these individuals have had criminal charges laid against them by the Commonwealth Director of Public Prosecutions. Um, they allegedly, what they allegedly, they allegedly revealed secret information about the Australian um, Secret Intelligence Services regarding uh, alleged, um, regarding alleged Australian spying operation in East Timor, where cabinet marines were allegedly bugged in an attempt to gain out inside information on Timor Sea and oil and gas negotiations. Um, the rally was shared by Jean. 
there was a rally that was organised um, this Wednesday in Melbourne, um, which um, where more than a hundred people attended. Um, the rally was chaired by Jean McLean, um, chair of the East Australian East Timor Association, and addressed by a number of activists from the East Timorese community and solidarity activists, including uh, former Victorian Labor Premier Steve Brax and his deputy um, John Twats. Um, you know, Brax, who is now an advisor to the Timor Leste government, spoke about the weak case um, that Australia has always had in negotiating oil f- for oil in the Timor Sea. He has thought it was totally hypocritical of the Australian government to continue with the persecution in the light of its most recent amendments on espionage and foreign intervention laws. Um, he also argued that um, he also argued that um, perhaps. Um, he also argued in he also argued that perhaps these persecutions have been rushed through to cover up from the alleged involvement of um, Howard government minister Alex Downey in the bugging scandal. And of course, um, Mark, Matt Kunkel from the Migrant Workers Centre on behalf of the Victorian Trades Hall also condemned these persecutions and drew the links between the Turnbull government's reactionary laws and the Victorian Labor government's an- latest anti-association laws. He also said that all these laws infringe on freedom of speech and will see more attacks on those who speak out against injustice. Um, and also talking about some of the broader sort of things that happened around, um, there was actually also a rally called by the East Timorese um, community um, that happened outside the Parliament House in solidarity with Witness K and his lawyer and there were also a number of um, East um, Timorese um, through social media in East Timor who um, you know put a number of solidarity messages on um, in support of Witness K and his lawyer Um, so yeah this is all pending developments Um, so there's been a number of actions that have happened organized by a lot of the solidarity activists and I think um, East Timor was actually just a note it was actually historically a very big major campaign in Australia back in the 90s in fact there were massive high school walkouts and massive rallies over it and so this is sort of a continuation of you know of the kind of of that work that was laid down um, all those years ago um Probably the last kind of, um, actually I might just play a quick song um, and then we'll move on to just one last article before moving on to the Green Left Weekly activist calendar of so, a bit more news from Green Left Weekly. Um, this is an article I just want to kind of discuss um, in the on the international news front. Um, but probably listeners have probably been aware, um, have probably noticed um, there's been a lot of coverage around Donald Trump um, and sort of his... <laughs> I think you'd be living under a rock if you didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's been a bit of, um, there's been a bit of emphasis in the mainstream media on sort of uh, the fact that, you know, Donald Trump sort of is being very friendly with Radmir Putin, who's a leader of a rival power, which is, I think, a bit contradictory because we're not actually at war with Russia at this point. Um, and that he, and the fact that, you know, they put um, a lot of the mainstream media, especially the Washington insider crowd, you know, was apparently kind of absolutely outraged and appalled by Donald Trump's performance at Helsinki. Um, and of course, as John Cole notes, um, who's the writer of this article in Green Left Weekly, uh, he violated all the principles of American hawkishness. Um, you know, I think one thing to kind of note here is, you know, as John Cole notes, is, you know, I would argue, you could argue, you could acknowledge that, you know, Putin's kind of behaviour has been objectable, but I think there is a big kind of hypocrisy um, about, you know, about the fact that there's been such a backlash from the kind of the elite and the and the establishment and those in power um, that, you know, pretending that 
the and as he points in this article that the US actually embraces people like Putin all the time. Um, mm. And the biggest example um, that this article um, points out is you know the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Netanyahu. Um, you know, as it's noted, he is guilty of the same infractions held against Putin. Um, he Netanyahu openly campaigned for the Republican candidates in 2012 and 2016. Um, he openly in- interfered in U.S. politics by insisting on addressing Congress to derail the Iranian nuclear deal, a quest which he, you know, ultimately seceded, um, putting the U.S. closer to fo- um, war footing with Iran. Um, in fact, you know, Netanyahu was one of the foreign influences pushing Trump to do a grand bargain with none other than Putin. Um, the Israeli leader allegedly pushed for the lifting of U.S. sanctions on Putin and in circle, and in, in his circle in return for Putin pushing Iran out of Syria. And of course, Netanyahu also runs spy rings around the United States, mm. far more aggressive and intensive than those of European countries. And of course, but then we have to also acknowledge all the sort of terrible things that Netanyahu is, you know, doing to, to Palestine, um, such as the annexing of the Palestinian West Bank, to which he is least less came to international law than Putin does to Crimea. And then Netanyahu is presiding over apartheid state in which the 4.5 million of the 12.5 million controlled by the Israeli government are stateless and besieged or controlled by the Israeli military. And so I think in this, this article kind of, you know, pointed out in conclusion that you know you know in washington it is right i guess it, it is in sense or right to for, for um to slam trump for treason it isn't really tr- treason though since um the u.s isn't at war with the russian revolution or uh, making nice for with putin despite the latest rise uh misdeeds but of course they can say all this but it is actually political death to even criticize israel they remain absolutely silent on israel and we should be condemning human rights um you know violations in all of those countries yeah and it's actually particularly for me particularly interesting about um israel's uh influence in Iran uh, negotiations or in Iran interactions because of in light of what's happening with um trump and his rather interesting tweets that have been um, and, and the activity that's been ramping up against Iran. So, yeah, it's quite it's quite worrying, actually. Yeah. Mm. And, um, yeah, so I think another kind of another another kind of particular political issue there is, um, is of course, the the, um, the United States, um, you know, establishment has been going on about kind of Russian interference in the earlier elections, which possibly it's possibly is true that you know the Russia, Russia did try to influence U.S. elections and results, but of course it's very hypocritical because it's not like the U.S. hasn't. It's over, always repeat this over and It's not like they <laughs> yeah. we could name. We actually could name the number of U.S. elections, uh, elections that the U.S. has interfered in for Absolutely. in Latin America is numerous. Yeah. And actually, the fact is, if that's if what Russia did is actually interference, um, it's a bit good. It's a they. They're a bit more moderate than what the United States did because when the US United States has interfered in elections, they've actually installed coups, coups against the government in the case of Chile, mm. uh, and actually installed great dictators instead. So, well, I guess you can probably say Trump is a dictator. Well, if they had to play a role, but <laughs> well, he wasn't. He wasn't democratically elected. Let's say that. Yeah. yeah well, he yeah. was much, and so I think it's like. It's it's a gross hypocrisy of the U.S. establishment to go um, to sort of, but I also mm-hmm. think there is a, a a pretty cynical kind of reason for why the U.S. government is, well, the U.S. establishment in particular is putting so much emphasis, especially the Democrats are putting so much emphasis on this whole Russia Gate kind of thing because it actually does. 
uh, is a way of kind of distracting from the fact that the Democrats have not done anything uh, to serve the interests of working people for like the past millennial. Well, this is the rise of, you know, this is why we have Bernie Sanders and, and um, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. Yeah, so this you're seeing... This is a, a need, a need that's not being fulfilled by that. Yeah. that um, and the Democrats are, are, the establishment Democrats are very scared of the fact that um, people like uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez are rising in the Democrats. So they should be. Um, and then there's all this, there's all this, criti- there's all this criticism from, you know, from these sort of established figures that, you know, we don't want we don't. We need to have some kind of third way, a third way that doesn't include the Republicans um, or the social, uh, the rise of the socialism in, and the Democrats, or across in the movements in particular. Um, and there's also, yeah, there's also um, interesting fact that um, actually there's a very, there's a kind of very funny article I kind of read recently by an Australian conservative, uh, not a conservative, a Republican, um, who apparently went to uh, Alexander Ocasio Cortez rally, oh, and yeah. and she was. Um, she was horrified that she realised that um, that ideas such as free healthcare and accessible education and for accessible, her children uh, were being pushed as were a, being pushed as agenda. Yeah. Like she was saying that, not ironically, as as a conservative, that oh, these are all bad ideas. But she was she was saying she could almost see that as a rational, logical thing that you know, free healthcare and accessible education for her children. It's almost a rational thing. Like it's always something that she could get behind, as if that's something that's just so out there. <laughs> and I, I noticed that um, Fox News tweeted um, Ocasio Cortez's platform. Like it was all unreasonable, you know, um, Medicare for all and, um, you know, uh, more accessible housing and Mm. education, etc. And she's like, yes, this is exactly what I stand for. What is the problem? And most people were like that. It's it's like Fox um, Fox News was attempting to say, oh, look at at how crazy she is. She's um, arguing for all these things. (laughs) And people are like, "Mm, that sounds reasonable. Mm. Thank you for advertising that, Fox. (laughs) And just a um, a bit of a concluding comment before we move on to the activist calendar, um, because uh, the interviews that are coming in, that were supposed to come in at 8.10 are going to be a bit late. Um, the important um, thing to note is um, uh, is that they ha- the um, the campaign against to abolish ICE has been building ground and there's been massive kind of protests and occupations happening all around the United States. Um, mm. So it's just an important thing to note. Uh, now, I guess we'll just play a quick announcement and then we'll move on to the activist calendar. All right, it's um, seven minutes late, but we're going to go into the Green Left Weekly Activist Calendar. Um, so this um, this Saturday, um, there will be a rally at 2 p.m. Um, outside the Channel 7 studios, uh, um, demanding that it's enough is enough, calling um, out Channel 7 for its racist coverage of the African community. And we'll be talking um, to the organisers of that rally later on in our show in uh, the next um, seven minutes. Uh, so I encourage everyone to attend that rally if they can. Um, on on Monday, on on Monday, August um, the sixth, there will be a public meeting um, banning nuclear weapons. Australia must act, marking Hiroshima Day, um, and that will be at the Cardinal Knox Centre at three eight three Albert Street in East Melbourne at seven pm for a seven thirty start. Um, on next Wednesday, on August eighth, um, there'll be a panel. Actually. Going backwards a bit, on Tuesday, um, the 31st of um, July, they'll be fighting for a world without sexism, ending gendered violence, public meeting, um, which will be at 6.30pm on Tuesday, the 31st of 
July uh, 6.30pm um, at the Level 5 407 at the Resist- um, Swanson Street at the Resistance Centre and it's organised by Green Left Weekly um, and will feature a range of speakers. So highly encourage you to attend that if you can. Um, and now going back uh, to, to events that are happening next week, on Wednesday, August the 8th, there'll be a panel discussion, Indigenous Youth Incarceration and Education. Um, Indigenous young people make up uh, 53% of Australian's incarcerated youth um, population, yet less than 6% of 10, of 10 to 17-year-olds in Australia are Indigenous. What role does education play in the lives of young Indigenous people before, during and after their time of detention? What needs to change within the education and criminal justice systems to keep Indigenous young people out of detention? And that'll be at 6.30pm at Wednesday, August 18th at the Arena Project Space, 2 Kier Street, Fitzroy, and it's presented by the Melbourne Educators for Social and Environment Justice and Arena. On Saturday, August the 11th, um, there'll be the Anarchist Book Fair from 10am to 6pm at the Brunswick Town Hall. Um, and then on Tuesday, the August the 5th, 14th, um, there'll be a meeting by Cornell West, um, polarised with a focus on justice and equality. Cornell West provides a voice at standard... Um, that stands out in both volume and content. His goal with this tour is to extend his influence to Australian values and bring about global consciousness in line with the legacy of Martin Luther King. Um, and there'll be a film screening, Witches and Faggots, Dykes and Pofters, a iconic yet rarely seen Australian documentary about the gay civil rights movement is restored to commemorate the 40th anniversary of the Nyangul, Sydney and gay and lesbian matter And so that'll be at 6.30pm at the Forum Theatre at 1.4... 154 from the street in the city. All right, um, I think that's pretty much it um, for the activist camera. Just, we'll just play a quick announcement. Okay, you're listening to um, Green Left Weekly um, Radio. It is um, 8.12 a.m. And um, we actually have our special guests um, in the studio now. Welcome. Uh, give them a bit of welcome. Um, they um, don't know much about them, so I'll give them an opportunity to kind of introduce themselves um, to, the re- um, to the rest of the program. But they are... Or have called and uh, organising um, the big Channel 7 protest, um, you know, calling out the um, Channel 7 for its, you know, racist coverage of the African community and the general kind of racist scapegoating by our government um, towards this whole kind of, you know, so-called African gang crisis, which is obviously just a complete, you know, racist fabrication. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I'll give you an opportunity for, uh, to introduce themselves in the programme. Uh, hey, so, I'm Titan. Uh, I'm Crowd. Yeah, we're artists. We do music and stuff, part of our community. Yeah. Yeah, and so um, can you call, um, tell us a bit more of, you know, why you've called this um, rally that's coming up t- um, tomorrow on Saturday? We just want to hold the media accountable so they can't just go out demonizing communities whenever they feel like it without a community standing up and showing the wider Australian community that that's not the right representation of what our people are. We're not violent people. We're not those. We're just like anyone else trying to, you know, live our lives, trying to go to school, trying to learn, trying to do that. We're like everybody else. That's it. Just holding the media accountable to know how much how much responsibility they need to have because what they say matters and affects everyone because, you know, yeah. thousands of people view them. We're pretty much protecting our future because what's going on is affecting us in a massive way. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you, what sort of negative ramifications have you seen, um, you know, after the coverage um, in your community and, and people's perceptions of your community? Well, like, 
I have friends that ask, you know, they don't want to go into stores together or walk together because we know how we're going to be perceived. We know that we're going to make someone else feel uncomfortable. I have friends that tell me, oh, you go inside, you go buy this, right? Because if we all go together, we're going to get followed. It's going to be embarrassing. And, you know, they just don't want to go through that. You can't live your life like that. Absolutely I have, not. Yeah, I yeah. have little cousins that go to school and they get other kids calling them names or other kids saying this or you guys are the Apex gang, you guys are this. And kids that are like 11 years old shouldn't be dealing with that. They should be focused on being kids, playing, living their lives and focusing on, you know, not adult issues. And I don't want that to continue, essentially. It has ramifications no. that our community, which is already in trauma, which is already single-parent households, right, from wars, from kids without their father figures in their houses, kids that are worried about money and their parents having to get them food, get them the resources they need and try to like give them the best opportunity to have a better life than they did. And now they have to worry about the racism, about the ignorance, about how the media portrays them, about their own prime minister calling their community and single, singling out their community as a community with issues or something. Yeah, I'd like to hear you, Karen. What is, what, what is in your kind of own words and your own kind of response, what is your kind of response to, you know, the you know, the kind of horrific comments that Peter, the likes of Peter Dutton and Malcolm Turnbull have made. Directly? I'd say come to our communities and meet our people. Come meet the kids. Come talk to the children. Come try to look for effective ways to start combating the issues that do exist because there is issues in some, some of our communities, like every, every other community. There's criminals in every community. There's good and bad people everywhere. We're all people. Come talk to these people and see that they're not just stats and, like, really understand what's happening if you're going to talk about it. Don't use us as a way to step on our backs and get into a higher position of power. 100%. Like, you know, especially when it's an elected official, someone that's supposed to be representing you and everyone. It's a, it's a leader. They, these are elected officials yeah. and the leader of our country, and they're demonizing a particular community, which upsets people who care, and it, it damages a community, an entire community. Exactly. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, it's the the biggest voice saying the wrong thing, you know. And, exactly. Yeah. And that that's going to have a massive effect because everyone listens to this voice, you know. Yeah. And if this voice just turns out to be a voice that it's going to pick out a single person in the crowd and say you are the victim and everyone in the crowd starts looking at the person like now okay, we can't hang with you. We can't do anything with you. That's what's happening in the simplest words, you know. Yeah, people we're supposed to look up to, people that we grew up because you know I've I've been in Australia like my whole life since I was like four in the same schools, singing the same anthems with white faces, black faces, brown faces, and I've been looking up to the prime minister because that's who we're supposed to look up to. That that's the person that's supposed to be leading us. Mm-hmm. That's the person that we're supposed to go. Okay, that's the elected official that's going to make sure that all of us are in a better position than we were yesterday. And now that person is using our community to step on us, essentially, to benefit himself and cheap political shots. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, can you have you? I imagine this might be a, um, for the rally this um, that's happening tomorrow. I imagine this might have been the first time you've organised yep. such a rally before. And yeah. um, what has been kind of the response from your community um, and also the broader community um, in terms of um, the calling of this rally within my community? Within the youth, um, people have said that it's a long time overdue, right? They felt like they haven't had a chance to have their voice be heard to speak out because it's been adults speaking for us or it's been people we don't know speaking for us or it's been um, people that have never been in our community speaking for us. We've never had a chance to say, this is how we feel, this is how it's affecting us. So they've been grateful for what we're doing now and, like, fully supporting us. But we've also gotten, you know, the neo-Nazis, the threats, the you're this, you're that, 
the community, calling you an N-word, bullying kids online, yeah. you know, like massively. I think this is really important in that independent media gives people a voice. And this is the worrying thing about um, the merger that we've had recently or the, the, that's in the, um, in the pipeline. When you, when you have um, these commercial places, these commercial media outlets um, basically in cahoots and trying to uh, you know, score cheap political points, you're not hearing the voices of the community. And the voices of the community are the most important thing to mm. hear because we have to understand what's going on and we have to hear what you're saying in order to understand the entire situation and not like, demonize. Yeah, yeah. and like work so. towards, you know, progression, towards fixing things, focus on community, how we can assist not how we can use that to profit or use that to get into this position. Because remember, you're you're here to represent community and make the community a better place. You're not here to think about where where you're going to be tomorrow, what position you're going to be in tomorrow, how strong is your position now. You're here to benefit all of us, essentially, to look out for everyone. Yeah, good point. That's your. That's, yeah. And so, what what are the kind of demands that you know when we and when we gather um, this Saturday um, tomorrow at two p.m. What are sort of the, the political demands um, that we want to put um, at this rally and the things we want to kind of unite people over at this rally? I mean, we're not politicians, right? We're the students, we're artists and stuff, right? Yeah. So this is just a direct response from our community. Yeah. We just want the media to understand the responsibility they have, right, mm. to be not lazy journalism, right, to actually look into things, to fact check, right, to understand the whole picture before they say something, not to go, apparently there was 200 people involved in an altercation somewhere, right, when I was in the same place and I saw what happened and it was two people surrounded by like 10 people around. Because when you say 200, it makes it look like we're savages or there's a huge problem within our community. When it's a small minority of reoffending people that are wrecking this whole image. Understand better. We want yeah. them. We want the you know politicians to stop politicizing our community and using our community. And if you want to understand what's happening in the community, come here and like talk to the people, talk to the community leaders, ask what they need to like to um, tackle the issues that are happening, and then look into what's that. But just be responsible and Absolutely. understand. Yeah. Understand like the repercussions of what you guys say and how that affects kids, how that affects families, how that affects people that are doing the right thing, right? That are trying to go to uni, that are trying to study, that are trying to get jobs, that are trying to just have a... Let them have a fair shot at life, essentially. Just understand how much of an effect you have on those people. Yeah, we really want to reiterate that lazy journalism damages people, damages community, it damages children and young people. Mm. And this is something that they really have to be held accountable for. They, mm. And they're not because mm. the, this lazy journalism continues and it can, it's damaging a whole generation and we have to we have to stand up. And this is the reason why we in, we have you here. We have your voices speaking out against this. And, you know, I'll be there um, on tomorrow and we're going to support you. And this is a great thing. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, okay, I I guess the kind of last thing I want to come about is um, sort of the death of that um, woman that happened in your community recently, and um, sort of what um, how that rally is going to sort of um, sort of make a tribute to her sort of death, and because you're um, encouraging people to wear blue. Yeah, I was a close friend of mine. I was a beautiful person. She's the nicest person ever. Mm. If you actually met her and you had a conversation with her, she's mm. always the one that's checking how are you doing, how's this happening, how what do you know, what are your goals, how's that. Mm. How are you working towards that? She's the person that's always checking up on people. So for that to happen was really painful for our community. Our community is in a state of mourning, mm. so everyone like um, understands that we have to show respect for what happened. We have to, you know, bring bring because ha what happened with like the whole um, Finn situation, which is law. 
as soon as she died, right, as soon as that happened, while we were mourning, the next day we had Peter Dunn coming yeah, in and saying yeah. African uh, gangs, yeah, Sudanese gangs, yeah, to, to further his whole... Even though that was bad, it was agenda. still being used for benefit. So you hadn't you know? even had a chance to stop. We were mourning. Morning. I was crying. Yeah. I was crying yeah. on that day. Yeah. I lost a friend and Peter Dunn is out here saying the Sudanese gangs and blah, blah, blah. Without even understanding. Like the police report isn't even done. Yes. Yeah. And he just came out here and blamed it on Sudanese gangs. They don't exist. This is a face of irresponsibility. Yeah. And that's painful. And so we're going to be wearing blue on the day. Just, you know, show respect to La. Let the community come together, mourn together. Um, there's a GoFundMe for the family. We'll probably like say that on the pa- we've already said it on the page just to give them mm. as much support as we can and know yeah. that we're behind them as a community. Yeah, I will share it on our page as well. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, okay, um, I guess the I just want to sort of we're getting to close to sort of the end of our program now. I guess want to um, want to make any kind of final comments about the rally. Actually, maybe say the kind of specific details of the rally again, um, just for listeners. Yep. Um, and you know give a form maybe a plug on why everyone I guess who's listening should attend the rally okay so um, on Saturday right it's going to start at 2pm right in front of channel 7 we're going to have our speakers speak um, we're going to get like the youth because it's going to all be youth because that's who all of this is affecting is who is this aimed at right Absolutely. we're going to talk about the new anti-association laws that happen because that's crazy like our mm. community is under attack mm. there's a new anti-association law that's being introduced that targets kids as young as 14. And mm. we know who that's going to be targeting. Yes. If you're saying that there's a youth crime problem, right, and then you say the youth crime problem is the Sudanese community or the African community, yep. we know who that's going to be targeting. Yep. We're going to be spreading information about that, um, have our speakers speak, have our, have the march. We want to have a silent march for law. I know it's traditionally, you know, um, chance and stuff, but that's not the state where our community is in right now. Yep, and we have a silent Ooh. march, march. Yep. Southern Cross, um, have like a last speech there and then wish people to get home safely. Yeah. Yeah. And we just hope that by Saturday we make a change and that's that's to everybody, you know, politicians, youth and everyone that's involved or not involved. Yeah. This is to say, okay, from now forward we have to see a change. Yeah, not yeah, that we, I we just, just have to see a difference at least. Yeah, just yeah. like the average citizen, right? When you see things, right? Because you might have n- like never met someone from our community or had that conversation with us and understand that, right? Just to like, when they see an article, to critically evaluate it and think, is that the whole truth? And like, do their research and just, you know, not just take it for face value. Because yeah. we are more than what has been presented. Like, we are, you know, a complex community with beautiful culture, with beautiful people that have been through a lot but are still smiling. There's, just, there's more to us than what the news has been showing. The definite mm. emphasis on being through a lot. Yeah. yeah. Mm. yeah. All right. Um, yes, yeah, thank you so much um, for coming to the studio to talk about the protests and talking generally about why, you're, um, why the community, uh, your community has called the protest. Mm. And, um, yes, just to encourage everyone that, yeah, it's happening at 2 p.m. Um, this tomorrow um, outside Channel 7, uh, and it will be important kind of protest, you know, to stand in solidarity with um, the African community and also stand up against the racist scapegoating by both the government um, and obviously the mainstream news outlets like Channel 7. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, so we're just going to um, end our program um, now. Um, thank you all our listeners and our guests um, for being on the program. And um, tune in next Friday um, at 7 a.m. on 855 a.m. or stream live on 3CR. And, um, yep, um, and, uh, yep.
to another um, day of fighting for a better world. <laughs> this brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio. Brought to you by the Green Left Weekly Newspaper, which provides a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment first. If you would like to subscribe to the newspaper and get it delivered to your door, you can do so by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1-800-634-206. For new subscribers, it is only $10 for the first six issues. Repeats of the show and interviews are podcasts on our homepage on the 3CR website. Thank you for listening. You are tuned into 3CR Community Radio, 855 Digital on the AM dial and streaming live on 3cr.org.au.